Section 34 of A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Sherman, Jr., Washington, D.C. A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3, by Henry Charles Lee. Book 8, Spheres of Action, Chapter 1, Jews, Part 6. The youthful Philip IV was scarce more than seated on the throne when, in 1622, Fernando Mascarenhas, Bishop of Faro, urged him to provide some remedy for the political dangers apprehended from the new Christians. It was in evidence, he said, that they were all secretly Jews and the state was in great peril from them as they were very numerous. There was no city in which they were not powerful through their wealth and the important positions held by them, while the danger of detection and punishment might lead them to cause serious trouble through alliance with enemies. It was found that they secretly invested their capital in dealings with the Dutch, and in Dutch commercial companies, and, if they ventured their wealth with these rebels, they would conspire with them, especially as the Inquisition was pushing them hard, arresting them all, and they had no other remedy. Israel has rarely had a more flattering tribute to its intellectual superiority than the fears excited by this remnant surviving through nearly a century of pitiless persecution. Doubtless there were other urgent warnings which have not reached us, and, in 1628, Philippe called for a formal expression of opinion from his Portuguese prelates. By his order they assembled at Domar and summoned to their aid all who were most distinguished in the kingdom for learning and virtue. After prolonged debates, they submitted to him a series of suggestions to which he replied seriatim. In view of the failure of all previous efforts to abate the evils wrought and threatened by the new Christians, the remedy they preferred was the thorough expulsion of the whole race. If this were not practicable, at least those who were full-blooded Jews, excepting such as could prove their Christianity, should be banished and their property confiscated. As for those of half or quarter blood, all should go who had been, or who in future should be reconciled, or sentenced to abjure de vehementi, unless inquisitors were satisfied of their true repentance and conversion. To this Philippe replied, proposing delay in the case of the full-blooded conversos, and assenting to the exile of the reconciled and vehemently suspect. For the further relief of the kingdom, the bishops proposed that all who desired could, within a year, irrevocably expatriate themselves, selling their property and taking with them the proceeds, but not in jewels or the precious metals. To this, the royal answer was that already there was unrestricted liberty to go, but as evils had arisen from their return, in future it should be prohibited. The next suggestion was significant, to check the spread of Judaic infection. By intermarriage, which was destroying the luster of the nobility, no dower in such union should exceed two thousand cruzados, and the husband should be disabled from holding positions of honor and dignity. To the first clause the king assented. To the latter he said that the existing laws in favor of the nobility should be enforced. To prevent the constant profanation of the sacraments, it was proposed that papal briefs should be procured prohibiting all entrance into the church of all who were new Christians, even in the tenth degree. To this the king promised to apply for such briefs, and meanwhile the bishops should refuse to install persons bearing dispensations and report to him and also represent to the pope the evils attendant on such preferment. The next suggestion was that the king should ratify and enforce the prohibition to hold secular offices and dignities, to which he replied that it should be strictly enforced. 
Finally, the bishops proposed that the new Christians should be wholly excluded from trade and commerce, or, if this was not possible, at least from that which concerned the royal revenues, but to this Philippe answered rather curtly that it was none of their business. Such were the views of Christian prelates, and even the partial concessions of the king seemed sufficient to threaten the new Christians with virtual extinction. But the whole portentous transaction served only to put on record the extremes to which bigotry could reach. As Lois de Mello suggestively says, after giving the documents in full, the orders issued by the king were not executed, and it would be superfluous to explain the cause of this to anyone acquainted with the methods of government of the period. Yet it had one result, for the new Christians, in fear of the threatened consequences, paid to King Philippe 80,000 ducats for the privilege of leaving Portugal and, under this, some 5,000 families emigrated to Castile, besides a countless number of individual stragglers, so that it would be a wonder to find any place in Spain not filled with Portuguese Jews. They felt themselves in perfect safety, for the Castilian tribunals refused to honor requisitions from those of Portugal. Efforts were also made to obtain modification of procedure, but in vain. By a cedula of December 20, 1633, Philippe expressed his approbation of the existing rules and refused all change. Moreover, he gave to Inquisitor General de Castro all the memorials, petitions, and arguments presented to him, thus furnishing to the Inquisition the names of those upon whom to wreak its vengeance. The question of transit to France came up again in 1632, when the Suprema notified Philippe that the commissioner at Pampeluna reported that troops of Portuguese families were passing into France, many of them people of wealth, with litters and coaches, and the Inquisition did not interfere with them, as the last instructions were that they should not be impeded. The result of this representation was that the orders of 1619 were repeated. Not content with retaining those who wished to expatriate themselves, when the Admiral of Castile, in 1636, captured Saint-Jean-de-Luz, and there were hopes of conquering Guienne, which was ripe for revolt, the Inquisition took steps to seize the refugees who might have settled there, though it had no evidence that they were Judaizers. It assumed that they were apostates, and as such not included in the promises held out to the inhabitants at large, and that anyhow the cause of the faith was privileged. The king was therefore asked to order the admiral to send to the border all whom its agents might designate, so that they could be seized without attracting attention. It is possible that some victims may thus have been procured during the brief time in which the Spaniards held their advantage. The refugees, however, mainly bent their steps to Holland, where they enjoyed free toleration and could work for their advancement and the detriment of their oppressors. This was the leading cause of the effort to prevent emigration, and it was a matter of much concern. Lois de Mello says that there had passed to Holland more than 2,000 families and, in those rebel states, they had purchased the right to establish synagogues. Those who publicly Judaized there were the same as those who, quitting Portugal as San Benitados, published that their confession of Judaism was under coercion of the Inquisition. Many who had lived in misery in Portugal were rich in Holland. They paid contributions to those rebel states and assisted to maintain their fleets and armies. They invested largely in the East India Company and thus were absorbing a great part of Spanish commerce and, under feigned names and in vessels of the United Provinces, they did a large trade in contraband goods. In short, their commercial aptitudes were impoverishing Spain and enriching her enemies. The writer unconsciously points out how large a part intolerance played in the decadence of the state. Nor was this the only mischief wrought by their hostility to the land that had driven them forth. 
1634, the Capitan Esteban de Aras Fonseca, in a memorial to the Suprema, represents the refugees in Holland as aiding actively the enemies of Spain, and as holding constant correspondence with spies residing there in the guise of merchants. The Dutch West India Company, he says, was controlled by Jews, who were large stakeholders, and its chief profits were derived from piracy in the colonies, especially those of Portugal on the Brazilian coast, where the new Christians were numerous and were in correspondence with the enemy. It was two Jews, Nuno Alvarez Franco and Manuel Fernandez Drago, residents of Bahia, who planned and executed the capture of that place by the Dutch in 1625. Franco, he adds, now lives in Lisbon as a spy, under orders from Holland, and his brother, Jacob Franco, carries intelligence back and forth disguised as a Fleming of Antwerp. Drago is still in Bahia. He is a great rabbi and teacher of the Jews, and moreover is a spy who last year sent word to the Dutch to return there. The capture of Pernambuco was the work of the Jews of Amsterdam, chief among whom was Antonio Vallez Henriquez, known as Cohen, who had lived there, who arranged the plans and accompanied the expedition. He is now residing in Seville as a merchant, but is nothing but a spy. Last year he went to Amsterdam with a plan for the capture of Havana, where he has a correspondent named Manuel de Torres. At present, a large fleet of 18 sail is fitting out for the relief of Pernambuco, under command of David Paisotto, a Jew, who proposes to call at Buarcos and penetrate to Coimbra, where the Inquisition is to be burnt and the prisoners are to be liberated. It was a Jew of Amsterdam, named Francisco de Campos, who took the island of Fernando de Nononha. It could readily be recaptured, as it has a garrison of only 34 men with four cannon. In San Sebastian, there is a Jew named Abraham Gurr, who calls himself Juan Guiez, under Dutch pay. He works much mischief to Spain and keeps a man named Rafael Mendez, who is constantly traveling back and forth. We need not accept all this as literally true, but it had an undoubted substratum of fact. In 1640, the tribunals of Lima and Cartagena de las Indias reported that in recent autos de fe, it had been discovered that many Judaizing Portuguese in the colonies had correspondence with the synagogues in Holland and the Levant, assisting the Dutch and the Turks with information and money. To verify this, orders were given to open, on a certain day, all letters addressed to Portuguese throughout Spain. The information was found to be true, a cipher was discovered, used in correspondence with the synagogues of Holland, and further, that a million and a half of money had been pledged from Spain. The matter was appropriately referred for investigation to the Inquisitor General and two Inquisitors. What was the result we have no means of knowing, but we may be reasonably sure that the rumors, which attributed to the new Christians of Portugal a share in the rebellion of 1640, were not wholly without foundation. They certainly benefited at first by the change of masters. It is true that Joao IV conciliated the Inquisition by intervening in its favor in a quarrel which it had, in 1643, with the Jesuits of Evora, and by attending, with his family and court, two autos de fe held in Lisbon April 6, 1642, and June 25, 1645, in one of which there were six relaxations in person and four in effigy, with seventy-five penitents, and in the other eleven relaxations in person and two in effigy, with sixty-one penitents. But this we may assume to have been a matter of policy rather than of conviction, for his tendencies were towards liberality. He is even said to have contemplated granting freedom of conscience and liberty of residence to Jews. 
but to have been forced to abandon the purpose by the stubborn resistance of the inquisitor-general francisco de castro bishop of guarda but this is probably a spanish exaggeration of an intention to modify the rigor of inquisitorial procedure which he was obliged to forego through the impossibility of obtaining the requisite papal confirmation spanish influence in italy sufficed to prevent the holy see from recognizing or holding relations with the house of braganza until by the treaty of lisbon in sixteen sixty eight spain abandoned her futile efforts at reconquest a position which resulted in the vacancy of the portuguese sees as the bishops dropped off until there was but one left francisco de sotomayor a dominican who chanced to be bishop of targa in partibus and who was made bishop of lamigo in sixteen fifty nine this impossibility of negotiating with rome rendered necessary an indirect method of accomplishing his desire to abolish confiscation which he recognized as a serious impediment to commercial credit and prosperity especially through the sequestration of property at arrest as it was provided by the canons it could only be abrogated by a papal rescript and to evade this difficulty in his decree of february sixth sixteen forty nine he disclaimed all intention of interfering with the functions of the holy office which should continue to include confiscation in its sentences but after this declaration he made to the culprits a free gift of their forfeited property which they could dispose of at will provided it was in favor of catholics and he also abolished sequestration at arrest but this was not only a free gift but a binding contract under which the merchants engaged to form a trading company to enrich the country with colonial commerce and to provide at its own expense thirty-six warships to serve as convoys for the merchantmen all of which was impossible so long as the capital of the company was liable to be imperiled by sequestration and confiscation imposed on the shareholders the inquisitor-general was ordered to have this decree filed in the secreto of the tribunals and to enforce its observance while joao obligated himself never to revoke it the inquisition subsequently boasted that it had excommunicated all who advised the king to this measure and it actually succeeded in obtaining from innocent the tenth a brief of october twenty fifth sixteen fifty thanking god for what it had done and urging it to persevere notwithstanding this the Campania de Bolsa was organized and, through its means, Pernambuco was recovered from the Dutch. There was flattering prospect of restoring Portuguese commerce, but, when João IV died in 1656, leaving the kingdom of the regency of his widow Lucia de Guzman, during the minority of Alfonso VI, the Inquisition not only resumed confiscation, but proceeded to collect the arrears since 1649. Altogether, Padre Vieira tells us about 1680 they had gathered in up to that time some 25 millions, of which not more than half a million cruzados reached the royal treasury. When Bishop de Castro died in 1653, the attitude of the Holy See towards Portugal precluded the appointment of a successor, and the general council acted from that date until 1672. When D. Pedro de Lancastra, Archbishop of Seed, in Partibus, was appointed, the lack of a head seems rather to have stimulated than to have repressed its energies, and one can scarce comprehend how, after a century of such earnest work, so small a territory can have furnished so unfailing a supply of victims. Autos were held in each tribunal nearly every year, with so copious a number of culprits that occasionally they occupy two days, and one at Coimbra in February 1677 required three days to dispatch its nine personal relaxations and its 264 penitents. 
Peace or war seems to have made no difference. Evora celebrated an auto, June 23, 1663, with 142 penitents, although Don John of Austria, with a hostile Spanish army, was occupying the city. The explanation of this exhaustless reservoir of material for autos is to be found in the strictness with which the infection of blood was reckoned, without limit of generations. All who had the slightest admixture were reckoned as new Christians and were held to be Jews at heart. Intermarriages had been frequent, and so a large portion of the population was thus contaminated that foreigners generally regarded the Portuguese as all Jews. Thus the field of operation of the Inquisition was almost unlimited, and every one whom it penanced became a source of stronger infection. The death of Joao IV removed what little restraint he may have ventured to exercise, and, in 1662, the oppressed population, comprising so large a portion of the wealth and intelligence of the kingdom, made an attempt to purchase alleviation of suffering. A new Christian named Duarte, who had been penanced, in the name of his fellows made a liberal offer of money and troops for the defense of the land, in return for a general pardon, the publication of witnesses' names, and permission to found a synagogue in which professing Jews might worship. Considering that in Rome there was a synagogue, there is some inconsistency in the energetic brief of Alexander the Seventh, February 17, 1663, denouncing the project and urging the Inquisition to resist it to the utmost. Of course, the attempt was abortive. Then, in 1671, the new Christians were suddenly threatened with a catastrophe. In the church of Vodaveas, a pix with a consecrated host was stolen. We have seen with what equanimity the Roman Inquisition regarded this offense, but in Portugal the whole kingdom was thrown into consternation. The regent Pedro and the court put on mourning. An edict ordered that for some days no one should leave his house, so that everybody might be compelled to give an account of himself on the fatal night. All efforts to identify the sacrilegious thief proving fruitless, it was assumed that the new Christians must be guilty, and the regents signed an edict banishing them all from Portugal, a measure opposed by the Inquisition, doubtless because its occupation would be gone. Before the expulsion could be enforced, however, it happened that a young thief near Coimbra, named Antonio Ferreira, was arrested, and in his possession was found the pix with its contents. The most searching investigation failed to discover in him a trace of Jewish blood. He was duly burnt, and the new Christians were saved. End of section 34. Recording by Robert Sherman, Jr., Washington, D.C., www.nyckidd.com.